good. Okay, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm Richard Rastusha, Vice President of Water Management Solutions for Jane, and today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, and it's valve troubleshooting. And one of the reasons why it's my favorite, one of my favorite subjects, is because uh, I think all of us, from time to time, every year, come into a situation where we have a problem with a valve. And uh, so oftentimes uh, your ability to troubleshoot this speeds the process to a fix. And uh, let's face it, without the valves working properly, your plants, your landscape is just not gonna get the right amount of water and uh, it's ultimately going to hurt you and, uh, and, and your situation. So learning how to step through and troubleshoot valves from somebody with as much experience as Michael Pippen does uh, it's going to be really helpful, right? Uh, because again, I think we all probably have our own strategies, our own step-by-step, -step, and it's really generous of Michael to share his with us today. You know, uh, for those of you who've seen Michael uh, do some of these presentations, you know what a great presenter he is. Uh, the thing that I think is great about Michael is he's really spent his entire life in agriculture. This is somebody who uh, can speak to us, teach us through a practical sense, uh, he's worked uh, in ag, he's worked with a dealer, and he's worked on the manufacturer side. So he's seen all aspects of irrigation and can really uh, relate to the challenges you all have when you're in the field having problems. And in this case, with your valves, you know, we were talking earlier and I said, man, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of different ways to get, uh, get experience. And, uh, and Michael shared with me how he gets his experience. And we're going to share that with all of you here in just a moment. So anyway... Michael, welcome back. So uh, so excited to see you today. I appreciate the opportunity as always, Richard, to you know hopefully share a little bit of uh, knowledge that we've gained over the last however many years, and um, you know hopefully have have a have a good time as well uh, share, sharing that. And you know we hope we have the opportunity to answer questions you know during the presentation or after. If you have anything specific, you know please drop that in the chat line for for Richard. And you know he'll he'll get those to me, and we'll get them answered either during the presentation or or afterwards. So yeah, thanks thanks again for having me, and and look forward to talking about this topic today. Yeah, so Michael, I know you were involved with the certification board at the IA for nine years. You served as the chair. You've got this experience uh, in the field and uh, as a dealer and. Uh, manufacturer for many years. I mean, you've really seen all aspects, but uh, what would you say is the best way that you've built your experience? How did you learn about valve troubleshooting? How, how did this come about? Well, I, I would say that I, I do have kind of an educational background that probably laid some foundation for me, uh, although I probably didn't know that at the time, right? I'd not really studied irrigation valves in college, although I did study a lot of hydraulics, kind of laying that groundwork. But uh, really, when I came, uh, well, in college and out of college, I spent a lot of time at a, at a dealer uh, distributor, and uh, we sold a lot of valves in landscape applications and in, in um, ag applications. And so um, through, through that was really where I learned, you know, really the intricacies of, of how the valve works, specific irrigation valves, and how, how to troubleshoot them the best of my ability. And then sometimes knowing where to go get help and when to what, raise the white flag and go, go find somebody that knows more about it than you do. So I think it's a mixture of having, you know, having an educational background um, and then being out in the field with a valve that won't do what it's supposed to do on a hot summer day, right? That's, that's really where the rubber hits the road and where you learn how to, 
how to troubleshoot and what works best for you and um, the best strategy to get to the solution as quick as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine you've seen your share of uh, troubleshooting calls that have come through. I'm in the field. Help me uh, <laughs> drop yeah. whatever you're doing and help me now because I got a problem. Yeah. And I would say that's, that's kind of where we started talking about this presentation today, putting it together. I did a lot of troubleshooting over the phone which is much different than doing troubleshooting out in the field where you can tangibly put your hands on things. Now, when I was doing that troubleshooting on the phone, it was not uncommon for us to run back to the warehouse and grab at least something similar to what they were messing with out in the field and try to, you know, so you can physically put your hands on there. But it really is a, a more challenging um, a type of troubleshooting uh, because you, you really have to rely on the information receiving from the field. And so that individual may or may not have as good a working knowledge as you do. And so today I am going to spend a, a little bit of time um, sharing what I believe are basic troubleshooting skills that can be applied to, to anything, not just valves, but kind of how we would tackle that when we we're in the, you know, not, not the physical person in the, in the field looking at this thing. We we're trying to translate what was being told to us to give the person some solutions. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time with that. Um, and then I'm going to talk briefly about the operation of a valve and, and what I describe as the two types of components that are in the valve. Um, we're not going to go into all the valve hydraulics, but kind of give you an idea of the, what I think is the, is the first step of trying to figure out how to troubleshoot. And then we're going to talk about really the two things that happen when valves are not working properly. And that's kind of how we're going to progress through this presentation, if I can make the presentation progress. Yeah, um, and I, I just I just had a question about that first uh, first uh, slide you had up there. That's a valve we don't normally see in landscape, right? We're used to seeing three quarter, one inch valves, maybe a little bit bigger, but this is right, a right. <laughs> that, That's why I put it up there because it's basically the gnarliest valve that you can find. It's not quite the bad the baddest valve you can find. It. This one doesn't have you know any kind of uh, remote control features on there I don't that you can't see anyway but yeah this is about as gnarly as they get as far as all the functionality and that that's really the point is that there can be a lot of things tied onto this valve but don't let it don't let it fool you they all work the same way as far as troubleshooting there are different operations and there are different things that you can make them do but um, yeah they don't don't let them intimidate you with size um they 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 are just evolved and um and they all kind of operate the same way <laughs> yeah that's a good point right don't let it intimidate you but yeah when you see something big like that i uh i start to worry <laughs> that's right it looks expensive we would always say when you're troubleshooting something and they went to go grab the hammer or the big wrench you go if it looks expensive it probably is don't hit it with stuff right that doesn't help uh, and that's kind of a I probably I should probably put that as number five here is don't hit it with something heavy that doesn't usually help. But um, when when I when I go troubleshooting, especially when we're talking about you know call people calling the phone where we're not necessarily in the field, you know you're probably at where the problem is. Um, unless in this case it's a valve that's not working properly. I always would ask people to go somewhere where something is working correctly. So in this application. It could be another valve that is working correctly, or maybe it's the controller, or maybe it's a pump. You know, find some parameters to 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 narrow in the problem. You know where the where the issue is, right? You don't necessarily know where the problem is arising. So you know, you've got kind of this outside boundary of where bad is, if you will. Go find some good. 
um, and look around and see if we can start kind of narrowing that focus immediately, right? If there's a valve next to it that's working fine, that's a big clue. If none of the valves are working fine and the controller is the first thing that you find is good, that's also a big clue. So you know where the problem is, you know, or at least where the issue is showing up in the field, go find something that is working and give yourself some parameters to work in. And then I, I say, you know, work towards the problem, kind of splitting the difference. And that can be figuratively or physically. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're um, doing some wire troubleshooting, then you would. If your valve is not working and it's, you know, 100 yards away uh, and your controller is working, you'd go to the midway point and see what's working there. And if it is working, then you work towards the problem. If it's not working, you work towards the, the part that is, right, and kind of split those differences. So splitting the difference, can I can mean that figuratively in terms of finding something that's working on the valve and finding something that's not working on the valve and kind of working towards the middle, or it could be actual physically moving your body halfway between the problem and, and what you know is, is, is working, and then having the best understanding of how the product works. You do not have to be a specialist um, to troubleshoot effectively. There's always a specialist somewhere to handle the most um, challenging issues. I am not what I would describe as a valve specialist. Um, I know a lot about valves. I've messed with them a bunch, but there are valves out there that I haven't messed with a whole lot. There's brands that I haven't messed with. There's settings that I haven't done a whole lot of adjustments on. So if you were to get kind of into more intricate problems or more detailed issues, you know, don't feel like you have to be an absolute, you know, um, specialist in a, in a product, but you do need to kind of understand how it works, at least in a, in a um, basic form, you know, what causes this? And so that's what we're gonna spend a little bit of time on today. Um, and I would finally say, use your field experience to guide your troubleshooting process. Do not let it tell you the conclusion. It is very easy, um, especially as you gain some experience to go out, look at something and in five seconds say, oh, this is the problem and start going and working on it. You, you may be right, and, and, and that's, that's great when you are, but when you're nothing, nothing worse than spending an hour digging up a valve to decide that it's a controller issue, right? So those things can some those shortcuts can sometimes backfire. It is always better to kind of work through the process, finding something that is not working, finding something that is, and start working towards that solution rather than going, oh, this is what's wrong. Let's go there. It's great. That can save you a lot of time. That's very valuable information. So you can make the highest probabilities of what is right and wrong or what could be happening but don't let it jump straight to, to your conclusion. That's, uh, that's a good way to get yourself in, in, in trouble. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, <laughs> I love your, all, your other point about go to find stuff that works, right? Because like you said, it's so much easier to uh, start to pinpoint or at least uh, generalize down the area which you're having a problem. That, that's right. Something and now, if nothing is working in the system, that can be really challenging. But you know, we're going to make the assumption today that at least something in the system is working properly, and we're also going to make the assumption that it what what we're troubleshooting has a history of working properly, not a new installation that's nothing working. So that's probably a good thing. That some of these troubleshooting ideas are are we're making the assumption that 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 this product has been working properly in the past. So, so pretty quickly, I'm going to run through what I describe as two components of a valve. Not, this is my terminology, but I basically put lump them into two things, a mechanical component and an electrical component. And all valves are constructed very similarly. This is a cross section of kind of like that big blue valve you saw on the opening slide. All hydro irrigation valves 
have a body, which is kind of this lower portion of the, of the, of the valve where the water flows through. It has a diaphragm that separates the body from this control chamber. The control chamber is just basically an open area that can be filled with air or water. And then it has a bonnet. The bonnet serves as the top of the control chamber and also kind of holds everything together. So body, diaphragm, control chamber, and bonnet. Not a whole lot going on there, right? Pretty straightforward. So when I say the mechanical component, it's really talking about the hydraulics of the valve, the water moving through the valve and what is causing that or not causing it to operate correctly. And then I would say again, for most irrigation valves, we are remotely operating these valves with an electrical command. Now I use that word command because in ag, we use some different voltages than we do in landscape, but it's the same principle. We're sending a electrical command. We're sending power to a solenoid that actually helps direct the water flow into this valve. So you have two components. You have kind of this hydraulic thing working here, or in this case, working through this, this landscape valve or same concept here. And we also have this kind of electric component hanging on the side that's actually doing some of the controlling. So how do all these valves work? And you can find a bunch of YouTube videos with animations. I didn't go down that road here today because there's all kinds and all different types of valves and it gets a little bit overwhelming, but you can see some good videos online that will represent some of these types of valves if you want to do that, that work later. But if you, if you take this cross section of a landscape valve, there's water coming in from the pressure side. This pressure side puts water on the bottom of the diaphragm and water on the top of the diaphragm as well. The water comes over to this point and stops if the electrical signal has not been sent. So in this case, water pressure in, it's on the bottom of the diaphragm, water pressure on top of the diaphragm. The diaphragm has a larger surface area on top and the inlet pressure forces the diaphragm down, closing the valve. So how does it open? Well, we send one of those electrical commands to this solenoid. And when I do that, it pulls up a little plunger and now water can get off the top of that control chamber. It doesn't, it's not trapped in there. And when it comes off the top of that control chamber, the pressure's equalized, there's some springs in there and that diaphragm pops up, the valve is open. So you've got, now you maybe can figure, kind of think about those two types of, two types of system. You got a hydraulic system or a mechanical system where you've got the pressure of the water is what actually holds that diaphragm closed. We send power to, to a little solenoid now we let this water escape out of the out of the control chamber the pressure is equalized it opens up so that's kind of the basic functionality of all valves regardless of what they're doing compan you know hydraulic valves uh, irrigation valves regardless of their pressure regulating or any of those other type of more confusing things um, they all operate in the same manner so Michael, I, I have a couple of quick questions here and I do want to remind everybody that we've got the uh, chat and the Q&A open. So if you have some questions you'd like me to ask Michael, please set them, send them in there and uh, I'll ask when it's appropriate. But um, first question I have is on these solenoids, right? You talked about the electrical impulse going there. Can you manually bleed a valve or open a valve uh, by just uh, doing something to that solenoid? You, you definitely can. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, uh, some, uh, some, some valves will actually just have a manual override right here. So you can kind of see now that you know that where that, uh, bonnet lies and where that diaphragm lies, 
right here, this is a valve, and you can open that up, and it would just at, open water to the air, and it just dumps this water out on the ground. Makes a mess, but it's a great way to open up the valve and kind of get it going, right? You can open that valve, and you can do it this way. Um, and some of the troubleshooting we'll describe a little bit more, but you also can manually lift this solenoid. And by manually lifting that solenoid, um, it will allow water to pass through the control chamber and open the valve. So there's kind of two ways to do it. Um, some, some valves, specifically ag valves, a lot of them have a manual open on top to just bleed water out on the, on the ground. There's not really a great application for doing that in a lot of landscapes because they're in the ground and you don't want to open it up and fill the valve box with water. So a lot of times to open them manually, you do have to manually uh, twist the solenoid to make it open. Which, uh, which I hate because um, early in my career, uh, many years ago, I did that once and uh, you know it broke. And uh, then I had a whole different problem, right? What I was out there to do that day and what I actually was doing was two different things. So this is why on that Nandan uh, Jane valve uh, at the bottom there, that uh, red lever, that can also be used, right? To uh, manually start the valve. That, that's correct. It's, uh, um, it's by definition a, t a test port. Um, it's not meant to control this valve on a day-to-day -day basis, but it is made to do exactly what we're describing. When you want to manually flip that thing, up, uh, manually open that valve, it basically just has a cam on the other side of this lever that you flip it up and it lifts that pilot. So it's the same, or lifts that, that um, plunger inside the, the um, solenoid. So there's a variety of designs, the way they do it. This is nice because, like you said, it, it um, eliminates the risk of losing a little O-ring that goes between the solenoid and that base that you will never, ever, ever find in, in four-inch tall grass. You might as well right. give up. Yeah, good point. That's the other thing, right? I've, I've turned it so far it came off. <laughs> no, and, yeah, no, it, it happens. And yeah. then springs and, and plungers and O-rings go flying. So it's not always, it's not always a, great, um, a great way to do it. But um, it is a great transition over to kind of our first problem. Valves are, are nice from a troubleshooting standpoint. If you're just considering a manual, a control valve like we are today, there's basically two problems. It won't open or it won't close. There's not a whole lot else that can go on with it. Now we have some other types of valves that do they're doing different types of controlling. There's some things that can happen there. But you know what we're talking today, where we're talking about just a a valve that's going to open all the way or close all the way. You're basically your two problems are it's closed and it won't open, or it's open and it won't close. So how do I tackle those? And I will always start with a valve trying to decide whether it's this mechanical issue that I described or this electrical issue. And again, it's that thought of splitting the difference, you know, finding something that's working, finding something that's not, and eliminating half of it with your first decision. So if I've got a valve that's closed and it won't open, the first thing I do is just like you described, just try to manually open that valve. If you have a big ag valve, you can turn it to the open position to see if it'll open up. If it does, that gives you a really big hint that it's probably not that mechanical issue. It's probably electrical issue. Same thing with your, your NDJ valve that you described here, the Nandan Jane valve. If you flip this little lever up and the valve opens, that's a really big hint that, that the hot, that inside, the, if you want to think about it as the inside, the hydraulic, the mechanical part of this valve is functioning properly. It's probably not that. Same thing here. If you unscrew that solenoid that opens up, that's probably means it's not going to be a mechanical hydraulic issue. It's probably going to be electrical. So that's where I would start. Doesn't mean it can't be hydraulic. It means that most likely it's electrical. And so I start with the electrical side of my diagnosis. 
And I always start with power. Now I'm a little old school. There's a lot of controllers that have a lot of features that can really help you out, especially some of the two wire stuff is really cool. Um, a lot of that troubleshooting can be done at the controller now, but there really, in my opinion, is still no substitute for a good multimeter that gives you resistance and AC voltage and DC voltage. It does not have to be a $400 uh, multimeter. It can be a $25 one. It gives you those three things. You can do basically anything you want to do. So the easiest thing to do, and in my field experience, um, if you've got good mechanical uh, control by manually opening and closing that valve, the first thing you look for is the connections at that solenoid. You're not getting good electrical power to that solenoid. So a real easy way to do it is to clip off that connection, got good fresh connections and test the power. See if you've got power coming from the controller. If you've got good power coming from the controller, then most likely you either have a bad connection or a bad solenoid. So now you've really got to a pretty narrow possibility pretty quick. We went, we eliminated the mechanical side, or at least greatly reduced the chances of it being a mechanical issue. We got to electrical with two quick snips of your of your wire snippers, right? Uh, your strippers and your multimeter. Now you can test, okay, do I think it's near the valve or somewhere between the valve and the controller, right? So you can eliminate some things really quickly. We want to eliminate that solenoid being the problem. If we have good power, then we want to retie that solenoid hit it again, see if we can get it to fire. If the solenoid doesn't actuate, grab one out of the truck. Before you unscrew it, you know, test that one, see if it'll snap, right, with a cap on there to keep the plunger from flying off, right? If people have done some of this, they've lost a plunger or two in their life. Test the new one before you install it. If the old one doesn't work, new one works, you probably found your problem, right? Pretty quick, you haven't touched a piece of pipe, you haven't cut and glued anything. Life is good, you're winning, right? If the solenoid is working and you're not getting good power, well, then you're going to be a wiring or controlling issue, right? You're going to be having to, you still have to find that good. You've only found, you know, the, 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 the bad, you haven't found anything to give you a, a, the good side yet. You're still not getting any good. It's just all bad at this point. Um, we're not going to go into wire and controlling troubleshooting today, but I would just say if you've got don't, not getting good power at the valve, the very first thing is to go to the controller. Go to the root. Don't go back and try to find, I mean, just go all the way to the root cause, see what you're getting at the controller. If it's good, then you've probably got a long day of wire tracing ahead of you. <laughs> you've got a good solenoid and a good controller, but you're not getting the connection. It's probably going to be a long day. Um, that's when you start looking for, um, uh, you know, paint marks across the, your, your uh, you know, your yard where the, where the new fiber optics line was run or something like that. You're going to start looking around the system and seeing if you can find a clue. Um, but if your controller, uh, oftentimes, you know, you have a module or something simple, go out in the controller, replace that and your wiring is intact. So that's how you would check the electrical components. If you're, if you decide, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, a couple points here. One, I want to say thank you for the plug uh, for uh, ET Water Controllers uh, powered by Jane Unity, right? They will give you an alert if you have an open circuit or a short circuit, and it'll alert you uh, directly to your email or, or through a text if you like. So, uh, uh, so that's one of those controllers that does that for you and makes your life a lot easier by, uh, by identifying that and alerting you appropriately. And then, um, then that was my comment. And then my question is this, Michael. Uh, I heard once that uh, most electrical issues, if they are a, uh, a wire issue, uh, are probably occurring within a couple feet of the valve. Is, is that true? 
Yeah, and I think the root of that comment is that that's where your connections are most likely at. That's going to be your hardest uh, hardest place to make connections. You know, anytime you make a connection or a splice, and especially like where, where we live in, in Florida um, or the southeast, a lot of rain, a lot of corrosion. I mean, it, it, it's always going to be your, your most, uh, your highest probability of having a poor connection is near your valve because that's usually where you're making the most connections. Um, those connect, you know, the types of and tools that are available now are light years ahead of where, I mean, you probably have experience like me of the original two wire stuff, trying to find a, a splice that would work and stay, you know, was, was just really, really tough. We really struggled with that for a long time, but now there's a lot of really good products out in the market that make that less of a problem. But yes, it's, it's near the valve because that's where you're splicing your ad. So that's where you want to be looking on a, a wiring problem um, or where there's a fresh set of dirt tracks <laughs> from a trencher. That's also <laughs> a good place to go to look. Right. Over by the backhoe. So um, <laughs> that's exactly right. Where the shovel stuck in the ground. Good place to look. Yeah. And then one of our viewers is asking this, and I, I actually have been guilty of this, you know, a situation where you shut the water off to a zone or you uh, shut the shut the water off to a whole area and you don't uh, change your controller timing or you don't shut that off. So your solenoid is getting power every day or every time the water should come on, but no water is flowing. Is that, uh, is that a bad thing? Is that worse than normal wear and tear? Um, so if I understand the question, you have the water shut off to a valve, but you're still sending it power. So there's no water, but you're sending power to the solenoid. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It, it really shouldn't. I mean, the, the solenoid, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, there, there are some solenoids that, that water transfers through them more than others. But in reality, no, they're, they're basically a separate system. Besides just putting hours on your solenoid, they do get weak over time. And, and especially if you get in an ag valve situation, some of those solenoids are pretty beefy. They're not, um, and they take a lot of power in terms of solenoids uh, to, to pull a draw. And so there, there could be some long-term runtime effects to that. But as far as it burning up and destroying the valve, no, because there's no, there's no real mechanical things moving there, right? It's, that solenoid just has a power, it's a magnet. We're energizing a coil and it snaps that plunger up. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, it could have not, not have a plunger in there for all it cares. It's just energizing that coil is all you're doing. So there's no, nothing really moving there, except that you are kind of, there is a limited lifespan to all electric components, but you know, that's pretty minor consideration. Yeah, okay, great, thank you. Sure. So again, in this valve not open situation, I would suggest that most of them are fall on this side on the electrical side. Um, but it is possible that there's trash in that solenoid assembly. Remember that water can't get out of this uh, control chamber, then it's not going to open no matter how much power you or pressure you put to it. And so the mechanics of all your electrical is, is ready. You know, you've checked everything. Everything's good. Solenoid snapping. Controller's doing all that's good then really your next step is undoing these four or five bolts across the top and looking in on that bonnet very carefully with the pressure off so it doesn't blow the top off and get all your springs and all your components. But a lot of manufacturers um, do offer replacement kits. And, and I would suggest probably at that point, you know, rather than try to clean and re if you feel like, you know, this is the problem, that getting a rebuild kit for the diaphragm and really most likely it's not necessarily a problem with the diaphragm it's probably some trash or something but sometimes that's really hard to see really hard to get out and a lot of people would just replace the diaphragm at that that point is a pretty inexpensive fix 
Um, but you could get in here. That would be the other issue, right? Water's not coming out of the of the control cham chamber. It could simply be clogged up with uh, with sand or whatever. I would say, you know, again, we're making the assumption this, is, this system has been running for a while and running correctly. <clears throat> if you had a system that was pretty new and ran for like a day and then this valve wasn't opening, um, I would say PVC shaving, right? I mean, that's the first thing I'm thinking is there's some PVC parts that's either stuck in here on top, you know, these, these small valves have a pretty small chamber, right? So even like just a piece of plastic and who knows how they get in there, right? It doesn't make sense, but they will. Some valves have filters on them, some don't. Just, just know that, that on a new install, that's a, a better chance that something that's got in there than an installation than one that's been operating for quite some time. Yeah, so we have another question coming in, uh, Michael, uh, and it's from a contractor who's watching today. And he says, I'm a contractor who likes to value engineer my projects. And so I don't use wireproof, I don't use waterproof connectors. I just use regular electrical uh, uh, connectors uh, for my valves. So is that gonna cause me a problem? I think most manufacturers now would recommend a silicone filled wire nut to make those connections. Um, uh, look for, for forever, people would use, you know, little bitty telephone wire, right? Cause that's the only thing you could get. And you've probably seen that Richard. That's the only thing you get like with 10 strands in it, right? Until, you know, some of our manufacturers in our industry said, wait, let's make a product for irrigation. They did. And so I would say at this point that there's probably products out there that would fill that void where you used to not have that many options. I mean, I'd say there, there's still a lot of valves out there with just regular old wire nuts or just twisted and electrical tape on there. The reality of it is if there's no, if, if you keep moisture out of it, it doesn't matter what you do. The silicone filled wire nuts make that a lot higher probability that you're going to keep that moisture out of there. That's where the corrosion happens. Um, most people have even, most manufacturers have, have even now backed away from, um, the uh, soldering, or I'm trying to think, uh, there used to be uh, with some of the two wire, there was like a welding pack that you had to do. It wasn't a solder, it was like a chemical reaction thing. It was crazy um, that you had to do. And most, most, uh, and that's just because those are difficult to do in the field, right? If you were in a lab and did them perfectly, it'd be no problem, but it's much easier and much more reliable to use those tools like the gel filled cap, uh, wire nuts than it is to solder down a hole, right? That's just really hard to do. Um, but if you keep the moisture out, however that works for you, that's going to be a successful connection. Yeah, great advice. Thank you. So the other problem that we have is that the valve won't close, right? Valve won't open. We want it open. Um, now we got a valve that's open and we want it closed. Um, I'll take this little, little again, we're going to make some assumptions here to narrow down our discussion today. Most irrigation valves are normally closed, meaning that we have to send that command to them, whether we're doing manually with a flip in the little lever or electronically, we have to send it a command to open up. If we don't do anything to it, it's gonna stay closed because that pressure from the pump or from the municipal supply is gonna force that diaphragm down. So we gotta tell it to do something for it to open up. So most valves are normally closed. <clears throat> That's a big hint to say, well, if a valve is open and it won't close, it's probably mechanical or a controller issue. Um, it's probably not electrical. Um, I say controller issue, and what I mean by that is programming issue. I kind of alluded back to some other conversation we've had before. You know, you get somebody in there that's testing or playing, you know, maybe you have a valve somewhere else that's not working right. You get a, a, a time programmed on top of a controller, on the top of another program, and all of a sudden you have 12 hours of runtime, and you thought you had two hours. 
and then it stacks and stacks and stacks. And after three days, you're basically running every valve all the time, right? I mean, you might have seen that scenario where things just get out of control. And so a lot of the controller, and sometimes, you know, you get power surges and some weird things like that where the controller just putting, putting power to the wrong terminal and it happens. So that's what I mean by controller issues is that there's something that's getting bad information from the controller. Um, but it, that's how I say, okay, well, mechanical or electrical, how do you test that? Well, the other way, when we talked about a valve not wanting to open, we started with a mechanical test. Well, in my opinion, when you've got a valve that won't close, <clears throat> start trying to eliminate the easy thing. See if the electrical part is working, right? Just, let's take that out of the equation. Again, clip, clip, cut your connections, test the voltage, make sure you're getting the right voltage at the right time. I mean, that may be your hint, right? You go, why is there power here? Like, there's not supposed to be power here. The controller's off, right? Great hint, problem solved. It's a real easy way to eliminate the controller and the, and the electrical part pretty quickly. Even though you got to retie those connections, it's a pretty easy way to do it. <clears throat> so if the power's good, it's coming on at the right time, and it's the right voltage that you're expecting, most likely it's going to be a mechanical problem. Um, if it if you got bad power, then you're kind of back on this electrical troubleshooting, right? Is it a controller? Is it a wire? Did somebody splice something wrong? Did something get, you know, jumped across, right? You, you got a lot of issues there. But if you got good power, then it's most likely going to be a mechanical issue. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Michael, we've got... Say, yeah, on a, go ahead. We got another question coming in from one of our viewers, and um, it's it's a good one, right? Um, he wants to know why his solenoid is so hot when he touches it, right? He's having a problem. He's guessing the fact that this thing's so hot, he can't really even touch it. I, I would suggest, so there's always heat uh, dissipated in an electrical component. That energy has to come out somewhere. Um, and so there's going to dissipate heat. Let's just stop the stop the dynamics conversation there. It's going to dissipate that that that, that energy is going to have to dissipate somehow, and it's going to come out in heat. If it's excessively hot, and that's a very um, you know, interpret that term however you want to, then I would suspect that it's drawing too much current, meaning it's going to have to it's pulling too hard to get its voltage, which would most likely indicate a poor connection. Or undersized wire. You will see that in ag applications. Not, I won't say often, but a lot with big old valves that I describe with the big, big solenoids and those type of things, where the wire side, you know, there's a really high amp draw. Um, so I would suggest if the solenoid is hot to the touch, that's too hot. It's kind of like an electrical motor. You should be able to put your hand on the back. You won't be able to hold it there, but you can hold it there for a second or two and not scald you. Don't do this because you'll hurt yourself. Put your hand on the back and that'll be the same thing with a solenoid. If you can touch it and hold your hand there for a period of time without it being with it being slightly uncomfortable and not hurting you, then that's probably okay. If it's hurting you, it's probably doing too much heat, probably pulling power too hard, too much amp draw, which could be a uh, could be low is low voltage, right? So that could be through a connection, it could be through too low of small of a wire. It could be from a bad output from your controller, but that would be probably the least likely of the three. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, um, <laughs> glad you had that distinguishing factor, and this viewer described it as burning hot. So uh, I think we would put that in the classification of uh, too hot. That, that's right. I mean, those are relative terms, but if you've touched again, you go over to one solenoid, not hot. You know, define it as not hot, and you go over to the other solenoid and define it as hot. Same new electrical motor. This one I can't touch, 
this one I can, something's going on over here. So that's reasonable to do with a solenoid as well. Um, so if you look at, you know, what could be causing this from a mechanical standpoint, if a valve won't close, it's oftentimes trash or a tear in the cylinder. Uh, something wrong. Let's not define that as a tear in the cylinder in the uh, diaphragm. Let's just call it something wrong in the diaphragm, right? It can be a tear. They get old and brittle. Uh, some some have springs that kind of help keep them closed. And those springs can break. Some don't. So let's call it a diaphragm issue or some trash. Especially in these ag valves, we can get all kinds of junk clogged up in here coming out of an open water source. Um, you can do the same thing with a, with, a, with a landscape valve. Again, PVC shaving or something like that, a rock. All these things happen. I have seen a turtle in a hydraulic valve before. Uh, somehow he made it through the pump impeller. So most likely a valve will not close. It's most likely going to be mechanical. Go ahead and eliminate that electrical with a couple snips and a multimeter. It takes five minutes to test that and reconnect it if it's not. <clears throat> then start looking at the mechanical things. I would also say at this point, before... I take that valve apart. I do a big, nice, slow walk around the system if I can. Because especially in uh, ag valves, um, if something else is going on in the system, it can make that valve do funny things, especially when they won't close. For an example, if you had a valve that would not close and right downstream or right upstream for it from it, you had a big leak that you hadn't noticed. Who knows why? It can be channeling out the trench out the other end. And that system wasn't maintained the proper pressure. That valve may not close properly because the system can't maintain the proper pressure. You'll see this in ag big valves more than in landscape valves. But the problem is not the valve. The problem is you got a leak on the next zone over, but you haven't looked there because the valve won't close, right? And that can be really, that's when I say you trust the process. Same thing can happen in an irrigation valve. A valve even won't close right. Well, why not? Because there's seven other valves in the thing open, right? Everything's open. Like the whole system's open. It's in the whole. It's in the backyard. You didn't know that, but you do it before you start breaking that valve open. Really take some time. Take a breath. You're probably hot. You're probably tired. Take a step back. Get your bottle of water. Make a good walk around that system, trying to find anything else that could be affecting that valve before you get the shovel. The shovel is when the work really happens, right? So we don't want to bust that valve open if we don't have to. There are situations, usually when a valve won't close, uh, that another component in the system is causing this problem and it's not necessarily an issue with the valve. It's happened to me before, valve won't close, leak in the line on the next riser over I didn't see. So it happens. So Mike, I think um, I, I see a lot of issues with valves that are mechanical, and I see contractors just replacing the entire valve. Um, they're charging about $350 a pop to change out a valve. And uh, I'm thinking, well, there's got to be maybe a valve uh, irrigation kit or something to change out the guts instead of the whole valve, because mostly the outside of the valve is okay, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I don't argue with the fact that it's $350 is a, is a reasonable charge to to repair a valve, um, but I do understand that there's a there's probably a very few applications with a with a valve manufactured, let's say in the last ten years, that you need to replace the whole thing. They just don't go bad like that. Now, some of the old, if you got a valve that's thirty years old, sure, it could be cracked, it could be broken, it could be not no parts for it. That can definitely happen, right? 
Um, but in the landscape application, uh, it, most all manufacturers are offering a very high quality, very well-made valve. It's been built in the last, let's say, I mean, I'm just throwing an arbitrary number, but let's say the last 10 years, right? That's probably a good valve. It's probably something that you can repair. Um, most of them offer a repair kit that almost all, I don't know anybody that doesn't rep uh, offer replacement solenoids. Um, they don't always offer every individual component, right? You probably can't get a plunger of a solenoid, but you can get a solenoid. You can, might not be able to get the spring off the diaphragm, but you can get a diaphragm kit. Um, and these are relatively inexpensive uh, and it will keep you from having to cut that valve out. And I would, it's, uh, yeah, the body of that valve is, is, would be uh, low on the priority list of being the problem. It can be a problem, um, but especially in a landscape application, probably not. Probably not the problem at all. If it was a body, occasionally, as I said that out loud, occasionally you can have one of these big ag valves that deteriorate right here and that diaphragm won't close all the way. But in one of these landscape valves, that's most likely not going to be the issue. Yeah, I like my power driver more than I like my hacksaw. Yeah, shovel saws bad in general when you're doing irrigation. The work, the work's about to happen if if you've got your shovel and your and your and your uh and your saw out. That's that's not that's not good. But yeah, Richard, that's about all that I had to share today. Uh, I do appreciate uh, the questions and the comments. Uh, my contact information is there below, um, so you can reach out to me directly. If I don't know the answer, I can definitely put you in touch with some valve specialist that I know in this industry. Uh, reach out to Richard or, you know, if we have any more time today, I, I'll be glad to try to answer anything else briefly. Yeah, no, this was great today, Michael. I certainly learned a lot about valve troubleshooting. I definitely am going to refine my process and the steps I take uh, as a result of uh, what you taught us today. So uh, thanks very much for that. Thank you to all of you that uh, tuned in today. We really appreciate that. And uh, remember, all our trainings are on the janesusa.com forward slash trainings website. Uh, many of them are uh, approved for CEU credits with the Irrigation Association. And it's November 3rd, we're getting down to the end of the year. So uh, you might be needing some uh, educational credits. That's a great place to find them. Uh, we're also uh, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, uh, you can find us there as well. Uh, we will be back on Friday with Andy Bell and Gary, and uh, Andy's going to be talking about how to put your landscape to bed for the winter, what uh, what you should be doing uh, so that uh, you ensure a good spring startup when, uh, when spring comes back. So anyway, thanks again, Michael. Great job. Uh, appreciate you putting your contact information up. I sure hope uh, all of you will use that as you uh, uh, improve your skills with uh, valve troubleshooting. Uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you all on Friday. Thank you.